0: So, we're going to dive into our message now, and I want to start by asking you how much do your circumstances affect your perspectives? How much do your circumstances affect your perspectives? For some of us, what's happening all around us, whether that's the weather, and so some of us have probably uh, ridden the roller coaster this week, some very glorious days on Wednesday and Thursday and then yesterday not quite so warm. So that roller coaster of what the weather's doing can have an impact on us or our relationship dynamics, what's going on in the relationships that we've got, and the state of our finances, the state of our to-do list and how much we've got on that. All of those external factors have a huge impact on our perceptions and our perspectives. And so when things are going great, our perceptions about how God feels about us, our perceptions about how we feel about ourselves, our ability to be able to look forward and to feel positive about what's coming up can all feel great as well. But when things aren't so great and when things get a bit cloudy, all of our perspectives and our perceptions can get cloudy as well and it can be really hard to see things very, very clearly. Some of you are saying, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter what happens. I can kind of feel the same way regardless of whether the sun's out or it's cloudy, whether things are in a good place or not. I'm able to just kind of keep going and to have a good sense of connection with God, good sense of where my identity's at uh, and a good sense of what my perspectives are. Today we're starting a new series that's called No Matter What, where we're going to walk through the letter to the Philippians and explore what it looks like to live as kingdom people with the values of the kingdom as a part of who we are, but to do that regardless of what's happening externally, to really wrestle with what it means for us to be kingdom people no matter what the circumstances are that we're going through in life and how we can hold on to those things even when things might be a little bit challenging. So if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can open that up and uh, go bottom right to where it says more and then on events and uh, you'll see our teaching notes for today on there. Or if you've got your journal or your notebook with you, you can feel free to open that up and uh, also open your Bible up to Philippians chapter 1 want to, as we get into this series, give us a bit of a zoom out overview of where Philippians fits in with things. And so, Philippians is one of the letters in the New Testament of the Bible. And uh, so, if you weren't around through May, June, we did an extended series called Engage and Encounter, where we took some time to look at a number of the different types of literature that we read about in the Bible. And uh, one of those weeks, we did talk about New Testament letters. So, if you weren't around that week, I encourage you to go and have a look on our podcast. You can go back and have a listen to that because that's got a lot more detail than I'm going to share now. Um, but in terms of where things fit, Jesus has come to earth, and he has lived and taught and shown what it looks like to live as kingdom people, to live as people who have surrendered our lives to the way in which God created us and always wanted us to be able to live. And Jesus' death and resurrection means that that is now available to everyone to be able to access that and to be able to live that out and embrace that. It's not something that we have to wait for when we pass from this life into the next. It's something that's available to us in the here and now. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, the four biographies about Jesus, help us to understand more about what that looks like and Jesus' teaching and what it is that Jesus came to do. Then we have the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, the first followers of people who said, yes, we want to live the way that Jesus has shown us how to live together. And uh, that included people going all around the world, being able to share the message of Jesus with other people. And a key figure throughout the book of Acts is this guy named Paul who goes from city to city to city, having his spiritual antenna up, looking for opportunities to have conversations with people who were searching spiritually and who were wrestling with spiritual questions. And when he would identify someone like that, he would have conversations with them and he would help them to understand a bit more about Jesus and get them to a point where they would say, yes, I want to embrace this way of living as well. And so Paul would then gather the people who made those decisions together into communities uh, that we now call churches. And the letters that we then read in the rest of the New Testament, a lot of them are written by Paul back to those churches. There are some other exceptions to that. We talked about that in that message. But a lot of the letters are written specifically by Paul to these communities of people who had decided to follow Jesus together. And so the letter that we're going to look at in this series is written to a church in a city called Philippi. And Philippi uh, was a Roman colony, a very significant Roman colony. It was at a very important crossroads uh, between Asia and Europe. And so you can see on the map there, it's kind of a very key place where people were coming and going through there all of the time. But Philippi had been established kind of as a mini-Rome. In lots and lots of ways the people who were there were roman citizens and so they wanted to kind of we don't live in rome but we're going to pretend that we do and live out the values of what rome was all about and so in acts chapter 16 we read the story of how paul connects with the people in philippi and so i encourage you to take a couple of minutes to read that throughout this week to just have a look partly because it's a really really awesome story uh, but also just to remind ourselves this is how this all came about So Paul and his friend Silas uh, went uh, into Philippi. They were led by God to go and spend some time there. And as they do, they meet this great future leader of the church, this woman named Lydia, who makes a decision to follow Jesus and is a key part of them planting the church in Philippi. Paul and Silas stay at Lydia's house and then they have this remarkable experience uh, with a slave woman who is able to predict the future. And Paul casts this spirit out of her and her owners aren't very happy about that because now they've lost their source of income because they were using her as like, she's got a good trick, she can tell you what's going to happen in the future. Why don't you pay her some money? And so they'd lost their source of income, and they weren't very happy about that. So Paul and Silas get chucked into prison for causing a ruckus. And while they're in prison, an earthquake happens, and the prison doors are open because of the earthquake. But instead of escaping, Paul and Silas stay where where they are. And because of their integrity and because of their faith, the guy who's the jailer also decides that he wants to follow Jesus as well. So, pretty great story. That's how things kick off in Philippi. We know that Paul then went back to Philippi two more times, so you can read about that in Acts chapter 20, uh, that Paul went back and spent some more time there, and then went back again and spent some more time with them as well. And our understanding is that Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison in Rome. So our understanding is that that happened between about 61 and 63 AD, that Paul was in house arrest in Rome uh, because of a bunch of the things that he'd been doing. And he is writing this from house arrest. And we read about Paul's experiences there in Acts chapter 28. A part of the reason why he's writing this letter is because the Philippians had sent this gift to Paul to help him out while he was in prison. And they had sent this guy named Epaphroditus. So uh, I know some of you have recently had babies, so you've missed out on being able to use Epaphroditus as the name for your child. But if any of you are thinking about kids in the next little while, Epaphroditus, not a bad name. So Epaphroditus comes, he brings this gift to Paul from the Philippians. And so Paul is writing back to them to say, thanks very much, that's very generous. But also, you've got to look after this guy, Epaphroditus, because he nearly died. So while he was with Paul, he got really, really sick, nearly died, and so he's telling him to make sure that they look after him. But also, Paul writes a whole bunch of things to be able to say, you guys are doing such a great job of being able to follow Jesus together. And what we'll see over and over again throughout this series is how much Paul clearly loved this church and this group of people. There's so much joy, so much gratitude, so much affection that we read throughout the things that he writes to them. They clearly were a church that was focused on the right things and doing a really, really amazing job of being able to live as kingdom people. And so that's part of why we're doing this series is to be able to take some time with one of the early churches to be able to say, well, what can we learn from them in our context, in our time? What are some of the values that we can embrace so that we can live as kingdom people as well? And you might think, well, that's 2,000 years ago. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that are quite different. What on earth could we have in common with them? A lot of people would say because Philippi was a Roman colony, uh, they were very much focused on Roman culture. And because of that, it was actually a fairly unchurched culture. So in a lot of the letters that Paul writes to a lot of the churches, he ends up having to defend himself or he has to try and explain some stuff or he has to undo particularly traditional religious mindsets. We don't see any of that in the letter to the Philippians and our understanding is that's because he didn't need to because they were just a group of people who were spiritually curious but didn't have a whole bunch of baggage about the religious past and more and more that's the culture that we are a part of as well less and less is our culture dominated by the past and dominated by religious thinking more and more there are these people who are spiritually curious and are very open then to be able to have conversations about what it means to engage with Jesus And so we're going to have a look at uh, themes like gratitude and opportunity and humility, perseverance, perspective and contentment, which are all uh, elements that we would articulate as part of what it means to live as kingdom people, to live the way that God has called us to live, but to wrestle with what it looks like to do that no matter what's going on in our lives, not just when things are in a good place, but any time. One last thought and then uh, we're going to dive into our passage for today is that throughout this series we've made a decision that most weeks we are going to substitute in King Jesus wherever we read Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or just Christ. And uh, I'll explain a little bit more. Most of you have been around for a while, know why we think King Jesus is a helpful term to use. Uh, But throughout we're going to have the normal text up on the screen but we are going to substitute in King Jesus as just a way of kind of creating a check. For us, Because sometimes when we hear Christ Jesus, we can just kind of move on past that. We really want to tap into Jesus' kingship as we make our way through all of this. So let's dive in. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 is what we're going to cover today. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of King Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to King Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and King Jesus give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about King Jesus from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when King Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of King Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of King Jesus' return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced by your life in King Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So we can already see the huge level of gratitude that Paul has got for this amazing group of people. And so that's the theme that we're going to focus on today is gratitude. And Paul starts by expressing his gratitude for the relationships that he's got with this group of people. So here are some of the words that Paul writes. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. You have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you, over and over again. Paul just says, you guys are awesome. And every time that I stop and I think about you, I'm just filled with joy and excitement about the way in which Jesus is at work amongst you. And I have to be honest and say, I have exactly the same response whenever I think about you as our Richmond family here. Every time I stop and think about us, I am filled with joy about how awesome it is that God is at work amongst us. And this really peaked a couple of months ago. Uh, I go and have a personal retreat once a month where I get away for a day and take some time to read through my journals and do some praying and some processing about what God's saying to me and what God's saying to us. Uh, And in June, I felt like God wanted me to pray for every single one of you who are a part of our Richmond family. And so on that day, I took with me a list of everyone's names, and I spent about half the day praying for every single one of you. So uh, almost all of you, because if you weren't around before the end of June, I didn't pray for you then. I apologize. I'll pray for you today. Uh, But if you were around at the end of June, uh, you got prayed for by name. And I had this massive experience at the end of praying through that list to say, what an amazing group of people we have here at Richmond every time i stop and think about the things that you're passionate about the lives that you're living the things that you're making priorities the challenges that you're wrestling with the questions that you're asking it fills me with joy it's so awesome and so i wonder when the last time was that you stopped and practiced gratitude for the relationships that you've got in your life the people who are helping you to be able to be a kingdom person whether that is the people who are part of our Richmond family or whether that's other connections that you've got. When was the last time you stopped and said, God, thank you so much for the awesome people who helped me to be able to follow Jesus? Paul is so grateful for this incredible group of people because he knows the difference that it makes to follow Jesus together. Secondly, Paul then expresses his gratitude for what God has done. So in verse 5, he writes, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about King Jesus from the time you first heard it until now. There is a lot that is packed into this sentence about what Paul is grateful for and about what God has been doing. So that phrase, the good news about King Jesus, uh, in your translation that you might have in front of you, you might say, The gospel in there somewhere. And we often translate that word gospel as good news, but honestly, that's a really weak translation of what the word gospel actually means. Because the word gospel was a word that was floating around in Paul's time, uh, and it was a proclamation by a king or a ruler that something had changed that affected everyone permanently. So, a proclamation that a king or a ruler would make to say something's shifted. And it shifted forever, and so now all of you are impacted by that. And so, particularly in Roman culture, Caesar would often make gospel proclamations to say, we have just defeated someone else. So we can argue whether that's a really good thing for the people who are defeated, but certainly for the Romans, there was this declaration to be able to say, great news, people, we have finished our war. Victory has been won, and now you get to live at peace. Isn't that awesome? That is a gospel proclamation. Now, sometimes gospel proclamations are as simple as, we have just finished building this amazing new road. The Romans like building roads. So now we can get from here to here much quicker and everything's really, really great. So that's a gospel proclamation. Something's changed that affects all of you permanently. Or it could be that a holiday had been declared. So everyone is going to get to have a day off. So everyone's affected. You get to have a day off because we're going to celebrate this thing. That's also a gospel proclamation. Something has changed permanently permanently that impacts everyone. And so the early church decided that they would adopt this word gospel to talk about the message of Jesus, to say King Jesus has made this proclamation that something has changed permanently that affects absolutely everyone. So celebrate and live like it. Victory's been assured. You can now live at peace. Everything's been done. It's really, really great. So Paul expresses his gratitude for the way in which the Philippians have understood that gospel good news, have embraced that, and are sharing the life-changing, altering reality with people around them about what King Jesus has done and that kingdom life is available to people in the here and now. Now... A little bit of a sidetrack. As I was thinking about this this week, I wonder how much that idea of understanding what the gospel looks like from that perspective changes our perception of what evangelism looks like. Because I don't know about you, but uh, some of us, myself included, have a bit of a twitchy response when we hear the word evangelism. It's kind of a little bit scary because normally we have one of two pictures in our minds. We either picture someone standing up on a box screaming at people, Or we think that we have to have this really polished presentation where we get everything 100% right, and if we just say all the right words in the magic formula, then bang, that will help other people to decide that they want to follow Jesus. But when we understand it as really amazing news that something has happened that affects other people, we just want to share it. And so I was thinking about other things that I'm passionate about and love to talk about. And so an example of that, many of you know that I really love going to the movies and watching movies. It's one of my favourite ways of escaping to immerse myself in a good movie. And uh, so if you've seen me in the last week, one of the things that you've probably heard is that we went and saw Oppenheimer last Saturday, and so it was really great. And I've talked with many of you, probably too much, about how much I loved it, because in some ways it actually felt like reading a book which is very strange for a movie because normally uh, movies kind of ruin books um, but the way that it unfolded was like reading a really really great book where you just had to sit with the narrative and allow it to unfold very gradually and very naturally and so I thought it was really really awesome just because of that let alone because of a whole bunch of other reasons I also love being able to read books, another great escape for me, particularly when I'm on holidays, and so again, if you've spoken to me in the last couple of weeks, you've heard that uh, Jules recommended that I read Cloud Cuckoo Land, which I did, and it was great. One of the best books that I've ever read, highly recommend it, it was really, really amazing. So I'm thinking about, I share these things that in a lot of ways are very, very meaningless. Why is it that I don't have the same level of passion and joy about talking about something that's slightly more significant, the message of Jesus and what Jesus has done? And as I've been reflecting on it, it comes back to this theme that we're looking at today. I think part of it is because I don't practice gratitude enough for what Jesus has done. It's really easy for me to just take for granted this amazing Life-changing news that has affected everyone permanently can just become a bit like, well, I've got a roof over my head. We have food on our table all of the time. We have great relationships with people around us. We live in a relatively safe and secure city unlike most other places in the world. It's easy to take those things for granted as well. And the shift happens when we practice gratitude around that. Say, no, no, that is something that I should be thankful for the message of Jesus is very, very similar. As kingdom people, we're expressing our gratitude for all that God has done for us. Being able to celebrate the amazing things that God has done and allowing that to change our excitement about sharing the gospel good news of Jesus with people around us. But Paul doesn't stop there. As well as expressing gratitude for what God's done, he also expresses gratitude for what God is going to do. In verse 6, he says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when King Jesus returns. Paul makes it clear that God is not finished yet, that Jesus' life, death and resurrection, as amazing as they are, aren't actually the end of the story. God is still at work and there's still more to be able to come. Now seeing how crazy it is that Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago, I'm not sure that he thought that there was 2,000 years worth of stuff that was still to come, but think about what's happened over the last 2,000 years, that God has continued to be at work. This week, God has been at work. Today, God is at work. Now, we also know that God's work will be finished on the day when King Jesus returns, but in the meantime, God is at work in the here and now, unfolding and unleashing the kingdom all around us. So, are we practicing gratitude for that reality as well? Gratitude not just for what God's done in the past, but gratitude for what God's doing now, and gratitude for what God is still yet to do. Paul brings all of that together, expressing gratitude for the relationships that he's got, for the things that God has done, the things that God is going to do. But it's important for us to remember what's going on for Paul as he writes these words. In verse 7, he says, You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can fall into the trap of thinking that the early church, everything was so easy for them. They just kind of wandered around and they talked about Jesus and people were like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And so thousands of people suddenly became Christians and everything was great and the church exploded and everything was wonderful. So easy for us to forget that was not their experience at all. In fact, the majority of the early church spent a lot of their time in fear of persecution and even at risk of death. And a big part of the reason for that is why we're holding on to this phrase, King Jesus. Because in Paul's time, in the early church, there was a phrase that floated around called Caesar is Lord. So if you were a part of a Roman colony, then there was an expectation that you would acknowledge that, that you would say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one ultimately who calls all the shots. He is at the top of the chain, and so I'm going to give my allegiance to Caesar. And so the early church flipped that and adopted this phrase, Jesus is Lord. And for them, that was a very deliberate undercut of what Roman culture looked like. They were saying, no, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who's at the top. Jesus is the one who tells us what to do. Jesus is the one who shows us how to live. And we're going to embrace what it looks like to live under the lordship of Jesus, not under the lordship of Caesar and Rome. We often say that that word Lord for us has kind of lost some of its meaning and doesn't carry the same weight, and so that's why we often come back to King Jesus instead. In some ways, even kingship is something that's not massively familiar to us. We think about our current king and don't necessarily feel well, we feel lots of things towards him, but we won't get into that now. But being able to tap into that mindset that rather than just having Lord or, as I said earlier, Christ as words that are just like, oh, yeah, that's what we kind of talk about with Jesus, to be able to stop ourselves and catch ourselves and say, what does it mean for me to submit to the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, to say, I am a citizen of the kingdom. I am a citizen who is under the rule and the reign of Jesus. Am I living that way? Because that's what the early church did, and that's why they experienced so much resistance. If they had just wandered around telling everyone, Jesus has come and he wants us to love each other, I don't imagine that there would have been a lot of resistance around that. But it was this countercultural reality of saying, we're not going to tap into the values around us. Instead, we're going to live the way that Jesus has called us to live and overthrow power structures that meant that they were heavily persecuted. And Paul is writing this from prison. Partly because of that. So as we reflect on what it means to be kingdom people who want to practice gratitude, the challenge is what it looks like for us to practice gratitude no matter what. Not just when things are going great and it's easy for us to practice gratitude, but to practice gratitude even when things are in a hard place. As we wrap up these few verses... We also want to look at what Paul then does with all of that gratitude. So it wells up inside of him how fantastic it is, all these things that he's seeing happen. But he turns that into this beautiful prayer for the Philippians that's helpful for us to think about as well. And I'm going to read this from the message translation because I think it's very helpful in some of its nuance. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental. Gush. Love the message. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making King Jesus attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. This is a really powerful prayer that Paul says, I don't want you to just love much, but I want you to love well. I want you to understand what it means to love appropriately, not just like based on mushy feelings, but genuinely, intellectually, sincerely, what does it mean to love? Other translations that you might have in front of you talk about being able to discern what is best. And so when we read about wisdom and discernment, it's not just about being able to discern right from wrong, although that's true some of the time. Wisdom and discernment is actually about being able to discern good from better and better from best. As Paul says, being able to know what really matters, what it looks like to live an exemplary life, to live a life that Jesus would be proud of. We know how important it is for us to take this and to live it out in our lives because when we think about relationships we know that it's not what you know but it's how you love that really matters when we think about our relationships with other people whether that's our spouses our kids our parents our friends our extended family it doesn't matter how much we know about loving other people it matters how much we put that into practice so we can say yes i know everything there is to know about how to communicate well and how to communicate clearly. I read a book on it. I know what active listening means. I did a seminar. See, I've got this certificate that proves that I have been to a seminar on active listening. I listened to a podcast on the importance of forgiveness, and I understand that forgiveness is very, very important to be able to have as a concept. means nothing in our relationships with other people if we don't actually put that into practice. So Paul says, I want you to understand all of this stuff so that you can love well. But we don't love just out of a sense of obligation. We love as a grateful response to everything that God has done for us. As kingdom people, it's so helpful and so healthy for us to focus on gratitude regardless of what's happening in our lives, to remember the people that God has put around us, to be able to remember the gospel good news of King Jesus, to be able to remember the things that God has been doing, to be able to remember the things that God is doing, to be able to remember the things that God is still going to do. All of us can start there, regardless of what our circumstances are like, regardless of what's happening for us in the here and now, all of us can practice gratitude around those things. It's not helpful for us to try and wait until everything is perfect, partly because our pictures of perfection are often way off of what kingdom living actually looks like and what we yearn for is often not tied to what our pictures of perfection are. But we have all of these things that right now in this moment, regardless of what's going on, we can say, thank you, God, for what you have been doing and are doing in my life. And as we allow that gratitude to well up inside of us, we can allow that to spill over into the way that we love the people around us. So we're going to transition to communion in a couple of moments. But before we do that, I want to give us an opportunity just to pause and to reflect on what that might look like for us as we head into this week. And so the question I'd love you to just take a couple of moments to think about is what does it look like to love well this week? As you think about the week that's ahead of you, as you think about the people that you're going to connect with and the people that you're going to spend time with, what does it look like for you to not just love much but to love well? What opportunities do you have? Not just to focus on what's right and what's wrong, but to be able to focus on what's better and what's best. (coughs) What are the opportunities that you can take where you know that Jesus is there saying, I am so proud of you for the way in which you're living your life. And if all of that feels heavy and weighty and feels like a sense of obligation, here's another thing that I have to do, then I would encourage you to start with gratitude. Not to feel like this is something you have to do to earn anything, but to just pause and be able to say, what do I have to be thankful for? And how can that allow me to feel inspired about what it looks like to love well this week? So I encourage you to take a couple of moments to jot something down or just mention to the person next to you, this is something that I want to think about as we head into this week. What does it look like to love well? And uh, then we're going to transition across to communion. Communion actually gives us a great opportunity to be able to walk back through everything that we have been thinking about today. Communion gives us the opportunity to be able to acknowledge Jesus as our king, to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus because of what he's done for us. It also gives us the opportunity to recognize that we get to live as kingdom people with each other, that we don't have to do this on our own, but we get to do this together. It gives us an opportunity to express our gratitude for that, to be able to say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, but also to be able to express our gratitude for the other things that God has been doing in our lives, is doing in our lives, and is going to do in our lives. But communion also gives us the opportunity to remind ourselves of what love looked like for Jesus. The sacrifice that it took in order for us to be able to live as kingdom people, the sacrifice that it took for that gospel declaration and proclamation to be able to be made. We recognise with the bread that Jesus gave himself fully to the mission that God had for him, that Jesus came as one of us to show us what love looked like, to show us what God looked like, and to give himself up for us. The juice reminds us that Jesus poured his blood out for us as a final sacrifice, so it's not up to us anymore. We don't have to make up for the stuff that we've done wrong. We just get to live out of the freedom that comes from Jesus's final sacrifice. But we also have the opportunity in communion to be able to do something tangible, to say, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. That we don't have to just try and love well on our own, in our own strength. We're empowered by Jesus to be able to do that. And so as we take the bread, as we take the juice, we have the opportunity to say, Jesus, fill me with who you are. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your love so that I can live and love the way that you want me to. So I'm going to pray. I invite those who are helping with communion to come forward and uh, then I'll give some instructions about what we're going to do. Jesus, we are incredibly grateful for who you are and for what you've done. We're grateful for this amazing gospel proclamation, the truth that something has changed permanently that affects us. We're grateful that that means that now we get to live as kingdom citizens, not because we've earned it, not because we've done enough to deserve it, but simply because of you. But we also recognize and acknowledge That that was a significant sacrifice that enabled us to be able to get to this point. That you gave yourself fully, that you gave yourself up, that you gave your life so that we can live. And so as we gather around, as we take these elements, we want to express our gratitude for who you are, for what you've done, for what you are doing, for what you're going to do, and for this church family where we get to experience those things all together. But we ask that as we take communion, that you would also empower us and remind us that we can love well, not because we're capable, not because we've got ourselves together, but because you empower us by your Spirit to live the way that we were created to live, to live lives where we can love well. And so as we eat and we drink, we thank you that you're here with us and we pray that you would help us to engage with you regardless of what's going on in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So everyone is welcome to participate in communion with us. Uh, You can come forward and you can either take a piece of bread or a cracker if you are someone who needs a gluten-free option uh, and one of the small cups of juice. And then we invite you to head back to your seat and take some time to reflect and particularly to think about what is something that you want to express gratitude for And what is something that you want to say, Jesus, help me to love well this week? Take some time to reflect. Eat the bread when you're ready, but hold on to the cup and we'll drink that together as a reminder that we do this together as family. Come forward as you're ready.